Turn with me, please, into the Lord's Word, into James. And we'll be looking tonight, if we can, at James chapter 3. And we'll try to get through about six verses tonight. James 3, 13. Who is wise men and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion of every good, every good work, or every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. In these six verses of Scripture, the word wisdom is used three different times. So tonight I want to talk about wisdom. A wisdom that comes from above or a wisdom that comes from below. We know that wisdom is a very important thing for us to have tonight. We know that the Greeks loved and thrived on wisdom. They were into philosophy and philosophical ideas. But the Jews also took high, a high rule when it came to wisdom. As a matter of fact, they realized that it's not enough to have knowledge. They had to have wisdom to apply the knowledge that they had to their daily lives. Now, there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, I've looked at it this way in a kind of humorous way, but knowledge is understanding that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is under, uh, having enough sense to know you don't put that in a, in a fruit salad, okay? So to me, that's a little bit of the difference between wisdom and knowledge itself. I think we've all known people who were very intelligent. I mean, they might be rocket scientists. They were, we, we sometimes call them, uh, you know, uh, uh, nerds and so forth. They have all types of knowledge, and people have knowledge of books and, and, and knowledge of this, knowledge of that. Uh, people can run computers and sophisticated technologies and so forth. They have the knowledge of the world. But sometimes they lack the wisdom that they need to carry out some of the most simplistic things uh, within their own daily life. The writer in Proverbs said, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. Now remember, in James chapter 3 and verse 1, he's talking about those that wanted to be a teacher. And I believe that this segues into what he was trying to say there. Uh, these people wanted to be teachers of the Word of God. Now friends, it's not enough to simply want to stand before a congregation of people and teach them. But anybody that stands before a group of people teaching should have something to say. It's not just bloviating. It's not just uh, running off to the mouth. It's not just saying uh, how long we can talk like a filibuster or something. But when we stand up to teach or to preach, hopefully we have something to say uh, there. Now that's where spiritual wisdom comes in. Knowledge enables us to take things apart. But wisdom enables us to put things together, especially when it comes to the things of God's Word. We can put it together. We can package it in such a way. We can teach it and preach it in such a way that people can base their life and their livelihood upon that, and they can grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. I know that we've all heard good teachers and good preachers that can articulate things. They can preach well and give us good messages and, and, and can move us and very inspirational. But many, many times, many of us, we fall short in getting the precise message that God wanted from His lips to our ears. And that's where I think that we need the wisdom that only God can give. It's the kind of knowledge without wisdom, this kind of knowledge without wisdom that James seems to be addressing here. He's contrasting true wisdom with false wisdom. True wisdom comes from above. False wisdom comes from below. 
Now let's divide this up tonight if we can in three different sections. We want to contrast the origin, we want to contrast in operation, and the contrast in outcome. When you talk about contrast of origin, wisdom above, or the origin from below. When you talk about contrast of operation, is it coming from the flesh or is it operating from the spirit? And you're talking about the outcome of the wisdom. If it's a worldly wisdom, it's going to lead to trouble. But if it's a godly wisdom, it's going to lead to blessing. So those are the three things we hope to get through with in our talking about this tonight. First of all, the contrast in origin. The scripture says that true wisdom comes from above, but false wisdom comes from below. There is a wisdom that comes from God, and there is a wisdom that does not come from God. There is a man-made wisdom. Whatever does not come from God is not going to survive. It may look like it's going to, to begin with, it may look like it's going to where you're at right now, but I will guarantee you it will not survive. It's destined to fall if it does not come from the Lord. Now the Bible contains many examples of where we see man-made wisdom applied to things and we see the folly of it. For instance, remember if you will, the Tower of Babel. That looked like an excellent idea, a great enterprise, but we see it turned out otherwise. We see that when King Saul uh, took armor to put on the little David boy, the shepherd boy, to fight the giant, uh, the, 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 the giant Goliath, it would seem there that was great wisdom, uh, great armor, but it proved to be otherwise. Uh, we see that when uh, the disciples wanted to send uh, all the people away uh, to feed them because they were getting hungry, uh, we see as otherwise, Jesus' wisdom said, I'll take the few bread and fish I've got and we could be able to feed them right here, right here, and feed them right now. When uh, Abraham found famine in Israel and he, his wisdom and all said, let's go down to Canaan or down into Egypt where there's plenty of food, we see that it turned out otherwise. And then in Acts chapter 27, you will find uh, that when Paul uh, got on board the ship and all the professional, knowledgeable expertise of the Roman uh, Navy of that day, they simply said, let's dro drop port and, and, and we'll sail off to, to Rome. And Paul, in his wisdom from God, said, no, ought not do that. But they listened to the knowledge of the experts and they were shipwrecked. When they should have listened to the wisdom of God's man, but they listened to the knowledge of the experts and they lived to regret it even though they lived. They lived to regret it. What is the origin of man's wisdom? The Bible said this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. We wrestle with the flesh, the world, and the devil. In three other terms, we could sense this way. We wrestle with things that are earthly, things that are sensual, and things that are devilish. With that being said, remember, if you will, what the Bible said. There's a wisdom of the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of the sage? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? And for since in wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the, me of the message uh, preached to save those who believe. There is a wisdom of the world. Do not confuse knowledge of the world with wisdom of the world. The world is loaded with good knowledge. We learn from the knowledge of the world. We read books, we go to seminars, we go, watch the videos on the internet. I mean, Google is your friend today. I can't fix anything, but I Google it, we're gonna try it. That's knowledge. We learn all kinds of knowledge, but we receive so much knowledge, but we often lack the wisdom of God to use the knowledge that we have. 
it comes to mind. I remember a guy walking down the road one day all depressed. And he said, God, you don't make sense to me. I know you say you're a God of wisdom, but why in the world do you put that big old oak tree there and the little bitty nuts on it? And you've got a great little bitty watermelon vine here, big old watermelons on it. Why don't you put the watermelon in the tree and put the nut on the little vine? Little vine? Kept walking, discouraged, and the wind blew and knocked an acorn out of that tree and knocked him in the head. And he said, thank God watermelons don't grow in trees. <laughs> God has wisdom. There's a great deal of knowledge in the world. We all benefit from it. But we can, man can unlock the secrets of the universe. And we end up destroying ourselves or dividing ourselves because we don't always know, have the wisdom to use the knowledge that we have. Can I just give you a point in reference? A couple of them maybe. The Constitution of the United States of America, as far as I'm concerned, as I read it and study it, was founded for a group of people that were either Christians or at least God-fearing. That's God's wisdom applied to that document. But today, what are we doing in America and around the world? This has been going on for years and years and years and years where we're getting further and further and further away from God, away from God's teaching, and therefore we're, people are just throwing out the Constitution left and right. Is it why? There's, nothing, there's no wisdom. I turned the news on, went down to the little house on the prairie down here we go to on Wednesday night, waiting on my wife to bring dinner, turned on the 4.30 news, and there's a, 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 a man there on the TV talking about how the tides are rising. Did y'all see that? Tides are rising, and we've got to make sure that we can do something to stop these tides because it's going to destroy. Dumb. I'm sorry. It may make a news report, but God already said, I stopped the tide here. But we don't listen to God's word. We've got to listen to our education. So you follow me? We have all kinds of knowledge in the world, but we need the wisdom of God to apply the knowledge that we already have. I read a story about a guy one time was in New York, and he, had, he was supposed to uh, have a guy at his church. He was a Chinese scholar. And he was going to have this guy at his church or somewhere at a meeting. And he met him at the, at the train depot. And, and they got on the subway to change trains. And he, he, he got him and, and introduced himself. And they ran down the subway. And they kept running and running. And they stopped. And he said, sir, he said, if we can run real quick, we'll, beat that, we'll get out of the train. And we'll get to our destination three minutes early. The Chinese scholar said, and what significant things shall we do with those three minutes if we get them? How true it really is. The world by wisdom knew not God. And its wisdom rejects the very gospel of God. Think about that. Paul said, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. He didn't say foolish preaching. He said the preaching of the cross is foolish. It makes no sense. It makes no sense to the wisdom of the world. It makes no sense to believe that. The foolishness of God is despised by the my man, and the foolishness of man is despised by God. Man's wisdom comes by reason. God's wisdom comes by revelation. Man's wisdom will, will, will amount to nothing, but God's wisdom will last through all eternity. No wonder the Bible said, in all of your getting, get what? Wisdom. I don't believe as a day goes by that I don't pray, God, give me wisdom. Count wisdom as your sister. 
Count wisdom as your sister and knowledge as your kinsman, the Bible said. Now, because the world is turned away from God, it does not want the wisdom that God himself can give to mankind. Every increase in man's knowledge only magnifies the problems that we have. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Then in Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. But this false wisdom also has another source. And that is simply sensual. That is natural. Remember to say our enemies is the world, the flesh, and the devil. Sensual, earthly, and devilish. The Greek word here is sukikos, which simply means life or soul. It's where we get our English word psychiatry. It means natural, which is opposite of spiritual. And you read that again in John or in Jude 19 as well. It's translated sensual. The main idea seems to be that of a man's fallen nature as opposed to the new nature given to us by the Almighty God. There's a wisdom that gets its origin from man's nature totally apart from the Spirit of God. Understand that. We can get wisdom from our own nature. But I want to get it from God. From the Heavenly Father. But this wisdom that's from beneath is also devilish. Perhaps it could be better translated demonic. Remember back in Genesis chapter 3. When Eve, when Eve was deceived by the devil, and we see that deception running throughout all entirety of the Bible. And yet we see the wisdom of Satan trying to counterattack the wisdom of God. Because Satan comes through deception and says, Eve, you can be just like God. Eve, your eyes can be open, and, and, and you can see truth and be all full of wisdom and be wise. Even to the point that Satan's wisdom said, do it my way and you can become God. And mankind has bit on that, chewed on that hook, line, and sinker. Satan is that cunning. He's the old serpent. He has wisdom and it will confound and confuse you if you and I bypass the wisdom of God. I pray you pray every day, God, give me wisdom. Birth your wisdom, your spirit of wisdom in my life, God. Give me wisdom, God. He wants to. In contrast to the wisdom that's earthly, sensual, and devilish, James described the wisdom that's far above. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Friend, everything we need is from above. Our Heavenly Father is above. Our citizenship is above. Our hope is above. My new home is above. I have loved ones that are above. I was born from above, the scripture says, when I trusted Jesus Christ. The believer's home is in heaven, and our hope is in heaven. And we set our afflictions, or set our affections and our attention on the things above, not on the things of this earth. Looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, but looking unto Jesus for wisdom. Now, what is the Christian's wisdom? Does it look like the philosophies of the world? Does Christian wisdom, to begin with, I would remind you that our wisdom comes from Jesus Christ, for he is our wisdom. As a matter of fact, in Jesus Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the first step toward wisdom, accept Jesus as your Savior. Amen. 
The first step toward wisdom, just simply accept Jesus Christ as your Lord. How many of you know the Lord in your heart? You, you're forgiven. Thank God your name is written down in heaven. Then He is the source of our wisdom. The Word of God also says of wisdom, Behold, I've taught you statutes and judgments. Keep therefore and do them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the nations. Deuteronomy 4, and 5, 4 5, and 6. The Scripture also says it makes you wise unto salvation. In James 1, 5, he says you also find wisdom through not just prayer, but through what? Believing prayer. For he said, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And then Paul said in Ephesians 1.17, The Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And thank God he can direct us in paths of life. May I tell you something? It's one thing good to know this here. But when we yield to the Holy Spirit and he gives us wisdom that may not make sense to the world. I sit back and think, thank God for wisdom. And you know, there is a gift of the Spirit called a word of wisdom as well. He wants to give us wisdom, and He wants to use it in the gift of a word of wisdom. How many times can my wife and I testify of the times in prayer and waiting upon the Lord? He has directed us. We felt good in our heart. We felt leading of the Holy Spirit. We felt like it was the voice of God to do a certain thing a certain way, and we did it. We go, wow, it makes sense at the moment, but it happened. It's just amazing, that wisdom of God. I, I want to share one. It just comes to mind right now. We bought, we had been married but it's a few years, we bought a brand new little Chrysler minivan. That thing was black cherry. My wife ran a daycare in the house. We had two kids. It was an ideal, ideal. We'd go to the mall on a day off, and uh, she'd be pushing one in the stroller, and I'd be pushing one in the stroller, and two holding hands, and another behind us. And I said, don't she look good for having seven kids, you know? And she'd elbow me. We loved that little van. I came home one day and I said, Honey, we need to sell that van. Well, why? I said, I just, in my heart, I feel I've got to. Well, why? What are you going to buy? I said, We want to buy him a pastor's car. He had an old Lincoln town car, one of them old timey, well, not old timey, it was old to me, but a beautiful white car with a red roof. Are they going to sell it? I said, They don't know it yet. So we sold, the, I called my pastor, I said, if you, if you told him, I said, if you ever decide to sell your car, let me know I'd like to buy it. He said, she, my wife never going to let go of that car. I said, okay. Two weeks later or so, I don't know what happened. My wife said she'd like to sell the car. I said, well, let me sell my van and I'll buy it. And we did. What was the point of that? A few months later, God released us from the church we were pastoring. And we took a church in Virginia that couldn't pay anything. And had we had a car payment, we would not be able to bought a house. God, in, God has done that for us again and again and again. It may not make sense to this. It bypasses conventional wisdom, but there's a wisdom that God can give to his people. We need to listen to the voice of God and then obey what he tells us to do. So the origin of true spiritual wisdom is of God. To get our wisdom from any other source is to ask for trouble. It is. There's no need to get a counterfeit wisdom of the world. We don't get a wisdom that, 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 that centers upon the flesh to do the devil's work. All wisdom comes from God. Secondly, what's the contrast and operation of wisdom? Well, the wisdom of above, God's wisdom, operates in a different way of the wisdom that is earthly. In other words, if, we have, if it's a different source, it's got to be a different way that operates. 
It operates earthly, sensual, and demonic. That's the worldly wisdom. Since it originates that way, what are the evidences of false wisdom? And there is evidence of false wisdom. James brings it out. First of all, envy in verse 14. The word carries the idea of selfish ambition and zeal. It ties with it the first verse of chapter 3 of those that wanted to be teachers, obviously. And yet this envy comes out and basically says, worldly, sensual, devilish wisdom. You want to be a teacher? Promote yourself. Tell them how good you really are. You want to be a preacher? Go out there. You can probably do a better job than what he's doing anyway. The squeaky wheel gets the most grease. So you go out there and you tell them you want to do this and how you're better than everybody else. Sad to say there's a lot of selfishness, self-promotion, and there's a great deal of that among God's people. Even the apostles, if you think about it, they jockeyed for power and said, when you come into the kingdom, which one of us is going to sit on your right hand? Which one going to sit on your left hand? It's the nature of all of us to want to promote self if we're not careful. It's easy to go on an ego trip in the guise of spiritual zeal. It is. Even the Pharisees, they wanted the praise of men. They wanted to look good in the sight of mankind. But we ought to be zealous for the things of the Lord. But we must be sure that our motives are pure. When I was first saved, we, we, anybody remember the CAs and the Simmons of God, CAs? Christ ambassadors, remember that? If you know what the CAs were, you are now an AC, which is an aged Christian. Because the youth group used to be called the CAs. We were Christ ambassadors, and we had that song, We are Christ ambassadors. Remember that? We'd sing that every Sunday, or whenever we had a youth meeting. Anyway, in those days, we had a rally with all the sectional churches on uh, once a month. And you'd go and, and you'd take all your youth from this church and all the youth from that church and you'd get there. And, 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 and you had these little rally sheets. How many miles did you travel? So many points. How many of you brought your Bible? So many points. How many had services? So many points. How many of you led somebody to the Lord? So many points. How many visits did you have this past month as youth? Well, man, we've got to bring that trophy home every month. You know why? Because I made all the visits. And it got to when I go visit shut-ins and go visit the hospital, working a full-time job. I was doing it the wrong motivation. I was full of zeal for the wrong reason. I wanted to bring that trophy back to our church. Doing the right thing with the wrong motive. And I had to learn as a new convert, you can't do that. Wisdom says we do the right thing with the right motive. Promotion comes from the Lord, and a man's gift will make room for him. A woman's gift will make room for them along the way. Again, be zealous in the things of the Lord, but we must be sure our motives are right. The wisdom of the world exalts man, but the wisdom of God glorifies the Lord. Understand that. Paul himself said that no flesh should glory in his presence. He concluded, or James did, uh, this, by, that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Is our zeal spiritual or is our zeal carnal? Are our motives for God's glory or to edify ourselves or to build ourselves up? Wisdom from God says you'll do it all for the glory of the Lord. When the wisdom of the world gets into a church, when the wisdom of the world gets into an organization, it makes it toxic. When the wisdom of the world gets in, the flesh is pampered and glorified, and the Lord often goes out the back door because there's been no room left for him. Secondly, strife. 
Again, we're talking about evidences of false wisdom. Envy, and the next one is strife. That means party spirit. It was used by the Greeks of a politician out trying to canvass for votes. The world wisdom says, can I get your support? If we have that business meeting, you're going to be on my side or the side of the preacher. That's the spirit of self-seeking. It brings rivalry. It brings division within the house of God. And Paul said, let nothing, or, or Paul said, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than himself or more important than themselves. Verse 14, earthly wisdom, man's wisdom is boasting. Pride loves to boast, and nothing boasts louder than the wisdom of man. There's no way to be prouder than for the wisdom of man to be on display. It's tragic to see that many people have their own admiration societies. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. A lot of these evangelists, God love their hearts. They believe their own fan mail. But the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, I read this from the J.B. Phillips translation. Of course, we shouldn't dare include ourselves in the same class of those who write their own testimonials or even compare ourselves with them. All they are doing, of course, is to measure themselves by their own standards or by comparisons within their own circle. And that doesn't make for accurate estimation. You may be sure. Hmm. There's, there's, a, there's a right way to report, to report the blessings of God and do it in a way that brings glory to Him and not to self. Understand that. When God's wisdom's at work, there's a sense of humility. There's a sense of submission. There's a sense of meekness. There's a sense of making sure that God gets the glory and that the people of the Lord are edified. Friends, we don't compare, I don't compare myself to Brother Charlie. Charlie don't compare himself to me. I have to compare myself to the Lord and realize I come up mighty short. We're going to be judged not by each other. We're going to be judged by Him. And I want to make sure that the wisdom that God gives to me is not sensual, not earthly, not devilish, but a wisdom that comes from God. I compare myself to the standard of God's Word, and God help me live up to this. And then let the chips fall wherever they may. Then deceit. Deceit. Lie not against the truth. Now here, the sequence in this is not easy to, to follow. First, their self is ambition that leads to a party spirit and then rivalry. In order to win an election, people have to boast. And normally when boasting happens, lies begin to flee, don't they? You ever seen anybody boast? Here comes the lies on the tiller. That's, I mean, campaign season, one lie right after the other. There's not lie, 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 lie. A man's life is not read by his own press releases. A man's life is led by the life he lives. The Apostle Paul said, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Now that looks like a lot about what man's wisdom looks like, but what does God's wisdom look like that comes from above? Real quickly, meekness in chapter 3 and verse 13. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power under control. Jesus said, if a man slaps you on the right, turn left also. That doesn't mean what I can take. That means what God can give me. 
Meekness is power under control. The Greek word used here for this is analogous of a horse. A powerful horse is under the control of the rider on the back with the bit in the mouth. That's what the word meekness basically means. It's like a powerful horse to itself. It can bring destruction. But that powerful horse is yielding to the jockey on his back and to uh, the particular uh, uh, thing in the mouth. The person who seeks only the glory of God and doesn't cater to the praises of men, that's good. Meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. God wants the fruit of the Spirit in our life. There's a false, there's a false humility that many people mistake for meekness, but that's a counterfeit. Meekness cannot be man-made. Meekness has got to come from the Lord. So again, weak, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is simply power under control. Control of whom? The Holy Spirit of God. The Word of God. The phrase meekness of wisdom is an interesting one. Meekness is the right use of power. And wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Meekness is the right use of power. And wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So he wants our actions and our walk to line up. And that's where the wisdom of God comes to give us wisdom to live our life right here now in the light of God's coming eternity. Do you understand that? It's a beautiful thing to think about. Attitude and action, they should go together. Then he talks about in verse 17, purity. First pure. Be first pure. The wisdom from God is first pure. Think about that. God's wisdom is pure. Purity or holiness. Do you think about this? The wisdom of this world tries to think of ways of, of robbing. Uh, you, you ever seen so many scams out there today? That's the wisdom of the world. Amen. Thinking up ways to rob, to kill, and to destroy. It's not enough today to have life lock or identity theft. Now you've got to get something to protect your mortgage. You've got to get something now to protect the title of your house. People sit on rocks all day long just thinking up ways through the wisdom of this world and devilish, essentially earthly wisdom to try to knock you off, rip you off, and make your life a living hell. But aren't you grateful that in heaven, we that know the Lord, He gives us a pure, holy wisdom. I don't know about you, but I can sleep at night if I don't drink a lot of coffee or tea. God's holy. Therefore, the wisdom from above is pure. The idea behind this world is chaste in reference to defilement. If we have the pure wisdom of God, we are going to be serving faithfully the chaste Lord. But if we have the wisdom of the world, it's almost like a spiritual adulterer. And we don't want that kind of wisdom in our life. He go, I'm going to hurry. He goes on to say peace in verse 17. Man's wisdom leads to competition and rivalry and war. But God's wisdom leads to peace. Amen. Praise God for peace. It's a peace based on holiness, not a peace that's based on compromise. God never has peace at any price. The peace of the church, the peace of the church is not more important than the purity of the church. Hear me. Purity is more important than peace. But if we have purity of God, we can't help but have the peace of God. Amen. Too many times we want to kick sin, the can of sin down the road and don't deal with it. We want to put sin under the rug and not deal with it, hoping we're going to have peace. But if we will take care of sin the way God takes care of sin, He will guarantee that we'll have that peace. What happened to Achan? 
Remember the Achan? He goes out and he takes some of the spoils that were supposed to be given over to God, and he took something he knew he couldn't use. He had to bury it. What's the point of taking something you can't even use? That's the wisdom of the world. Why have something you can't enjoy? You've got to bury it. And because of that, hiding the sin, it brought devastation to him and his entire family, and the nation of Israel lost the battle they should have won. The wisdom of God is pure. It don't hide stuff. The Lord reveals stuff that we can get rid of stuff, that we can live our life clean in a dirty world. Isaiah said, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. Friends, the church should never have peace by sweeping them under the rug. Confess sin, and His peace will ride in our hearts. Gentleness in verse 17. Matthew Arnold, an 18th century poet, said, It's like sweet reasonableness, sweet reasonableness, sweet reasonableness. It carries the meaning of moderation without compromise, gentleness, and weakness. Now, a gentle person doesn't go around deliberately starts fights. We don't go around starting fights. But we don't compromise God-given convictions to walk away from one. Christians, in the peace of God, we simply do not compromise and cause fights but do, we do not compromise truth to keep the peace. A man by the name of Carl Sangburn, he was a 20th century poet and biographer of Abraham Lincoln. He, he, he labeled this gentleness like Abraham Lincoln had a, a, a velvet steel. He was a man of velvet steel. I love that terminology, velvet steel. He was very polished. He was very gentle and, and very much at peace. But you get him cranked, he's going to stand up. Jesus could be described like that as velvet steel, could he not? Meekness, when he had to stand, he did. When he had to take the bull with the horn, he did. He could, he could cry at Lazarus' grave, but he could pick up a whip and drive the money changers and those that sold their wires right out of the temple when he had to. Velvet steel. Then verse 17, we're talking about the wisdom of God. Compliance, which means easy to be entreated. God's wisdom makes believers agreeable and easy to work with and easy to live with. Man's wisdom makes a person hard to live with. Man's wisdom makes a person difficult to live with. Sometimes we think that stubbornness is a gift of the Spirit or a fruit of the Spirit, and it's not. Stubbornness is not a fruit of the Spirit. We as people that have the wisdom of God, we can disagree without being disagreeable. With me? James said, swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. When God's wisdom is at work, there's a willingness to listen. There's a willingness to think. There's a willingness to pray. There is a willingness to obey whatever God reveals. Yielding. Yielding to persuasion. Yielding to persuasion based on God's wisdom is another way to use this particular word of to be entreated. Mercy. Verse 17. The, 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 the wisdom of God is full of mercy. Again, to be full of something means to be controlled by something. What are we controlled by? The Spirit of God, I hope. The person who is full of God's wisdom, is controlled by God's mercy. Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. Thank God He gives us grace, which means God 
gives to us things we do not deserve. And his mercy says, I'm not going to give you the things that you do deserve. So the, the wisdom of God is, a, is one of mercy. And then good fruits. Verse 17. People who are faithful are fruitful. The wisdom of God is going to produce fruit in our life. Not sour fruit, but good fruit. God's wisdom does not make our life empty. Thank God it makes our life full. That's where his wisdom, you know, he gives us the sense and the wisdom to live a good life, a holy life, a happy life. Too many Christians, we act like we're sitting in a dentist's office and we're next for a root canal. God's wisdom, if we're trying to find the joy, the peace and meaning in this world, it's not going to happen. But if we take the wisdom of God and understand how to live in this world without being of this world, we can find peace and joy and tranquility and a reason to get out of the bed every morning of our life. Good fruits. Then he talked about decisiveness there without partiality in verse 17. The word suggests singleness of mind, which is opposite of wavering. If we're using the wisdom of the world, we waver back and forth with ideas and opinions. We never can seem to settle on something. But if we have that clarion call of God, and that I know that I know in my heart of hearts, this is the mind of God, you can stand on it come devil, hell, or hot water. There'll be none of that wavering back and forth within our life. And I thank the Lord for that. When you have God's wisdom, you don't have to waver. You can be decisive, and you don't have to be afraid. And you can trust the Word of God and trust the Spirit of God wherever you're at in your life. Wisdom from above brings strength from above. How could Paul and Silas go into a prison, beaten in the humility the way they did, and have the peace of God in their heart? Because he had God's wisdom going in the door. How could Peter know I'm going to be executed tomorrow and I'm lying here in prison chained to all these guards, guards outside this prison cell, and he goes to sleep. That when the angel comes, he has to wake him up. How does that happen? The wisdom of God. When you have God's wisdom, you can trust him in any situation of life because with any struggle comes his strength. And then there is, verse 17, sincerity. The Greek word here translates it hypocrisy, which one who wears a mask like an actor. When man's wisdom's at work, there is pretense, there's insecurity. When God's wisdom is at work, there is openness and there is honesty. Speaking the truth in love, the Apostle Paul said. Whenever you find God's people pretending or putting on a show, you know that's the wisdom of the world. Faith is living without deception. Faith is living without scheming. Faith is living in the light of God's truth and exemplifying the glory of God. There's a, quite a contrast between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The thing that scares me today, and I want to be careful how I say this, Christians and churches and church organizations are relying more and more and more upon the wisdom of the business world to do church. In our promotions, in the way that we do things. The church is not an organization, it is an organism, but we have to be an organization as far as structure. 
But I don't have to get my business model to do church from Wall Street. I don't have to go to Forbes magazine to know how to do a staff. There's a lot of churches and districts, and I'm not their judge. It just don't work for me. But they often give potential hires an assessment. And say I want to bring Brother Charlie on as the youth pastor. And he takes this assessment. And if he don't line up with my personality, it's not going to work. So I've got to shoot you on somebody else. You don't line up with leadership. My question is, what if leadership's wrong? What would, what would happen had Jesus had an assessment for the 12 disciples? In any other given situation, without the wisdom of God, the mind of God, the power of God, those guys would have killed each other. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealous, zealots. These guys would have done this. They'd have killed each other. God does not call us based upon what the new profiles say. God calls us according to his will. And I believe we've applied so much of the world's standards to the way we do church. And we wonder why churches are dying. I'm a firm believer we need the wisdom of God in everything that we do. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God. Contrast the outcomes in verses 16 and 18. Origin determines outcome. Worldly wisdom will produce worldly results. Spiritual wisdom will give us spiritual results. We already talked about it. Envy, strife, jealousy, robbery, all these things, worldly wisdom. But God's wisdom, meekness, and peace, and joy, and the list goes on and on. Good fruits, etc., etc. Worldly wisdom produces trouble. Worldly wisdom produces trouble. Envy, confusion, evil works. It don't even look like reading the book of James. I wonder, were these people even saved? Think about it. Wars, he talked about wars and fightings. He talked about judging people, hating each other. Where's Christianity at in that? And we call that church, we see it in America and around the world. The devil wants to get in and sow discord and all that mess. And I don't think we ought to put up with it, church. Cast your thoughts into the presence of God. And say, Lord, let me give mercy to my brother like I want mercy for them. Let me give grace to my brother like I want grace for them. Let me, Lord, live my life and let you take care of people. And for God's sake, learn to say, I'm sorry. And then learn to say on the other end, I forgive you. That's God's wisdom. But the wisdom of the world, we want to keep something going all the time. Just a racket, just a confusion. You know what? And all that does is stop. You know what happens? What James talked about, immaturity. That's the whole thing James is talking about in this whole book is maturity, bringing the Christian into maturity. And all the church splits and all the church fights and all the rumoring I've ever heard in church, you know what's about? Immaturity. I've got to have my way. I've been hurt. Well, get over it. What's best for the kingdom of God? We've all been hurt. And if you haven't been hurt in church yet, hang on, it's going to happen. Some Christian reminds me of some of those plants up in the mountain. The first spring frost kills them. And the first little word just kills me. Let me tell you, friends, sheep can bite. I've been bitten a few times. And truth be known, I've probably bit a few times. But why are we here? Because God has forgiven me. 
and you can forgive me and I can forgive you and we can forgive ourselves. But the bottom line is worldly wisdom produces trouble. One reason that the world is in such a mess is because men have refused to accept the wisdom of God. The word translated confusion means disorder that comes from instability, unstable, unruly in James. And the list goes on and on. i got to close. Give me one minute. Come here, give me a minute. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got 20 more minutes left. <laughs> Jealousy, competition, a party spirit, all of these contribute to confusion. That's what happened to the Tower of Babel. Man's wisdom, this is a great enterprise. But it brought confusion and fear and destruction. What does Babel mean? Confusion. I want to be ugly here, but I won't. I wonder what we could call D.C. today. Anyway, confusion sets the stage for evil, evil work. And evil here means worthless of no account. It reminds me of the wood, the hay, and the stubble that Paul talked about on the day of judgment. I got to close with this. God's wisdom produces blessing. God's wisdom produces blessing. James returned to the word fruit. Now, uh, this, is, this is interesting here. There's a difference between man-made results and God-given fruit. Fruit's the byproduct of life. But the fruit has in it the seeds for more fruit. And usually it's the seed that's sown. But here, it's the fruit that is sown. Did you read that? It's the fruit that is sown. Not the seed in this text. As we share the fruit of God with other people... They're to feed and be satisfied, and they are to bear fruit. Yeah. Oh, there's much more I could say, but I've, I've gone too long. Happy is the man that finds wisdom, and the man that getteth understanding. Old Solomon was a pretty old sharp guy, wasn't he? Yeah.